Welcome to the Woodridge Baptist Church Podcast. For more information about what's happening in the life of our church, visit our website at www.woodridge.org. Enjoy the podcast. You know, some years ago, when I was pastoring in North Carolina, I was in North Carolina before I came here to, to join up with you, you good people. And there was a group that we partnered with up there as a church Uh, that came alongside women that were dealing with crisis pregnancies. And there's so many stories I could share with you uh, that we we had the privilege of being a part of something that was beautiful and something that was redemptive. But they had this vision for themselves, and the vision was for every place that there was a planned parenthood, they wanted to put a clinic next to it that gave women a different choice. And so with that clinic, you had people that were definitely pro-life, and they would get the women in, they would give them the care that they needed. They had doctors that were literally donating their time because many of these women found themselves in situations that were unplanned pregnancies. About half of the pregnancies that happen in, the, in a normal year in the United States are considered unplanned. And what I found was over the years of working with them, what I found is that most of the women actually did not want to have an abortion. And I say this because I was one of the guys that was going into the clinic. I was one of the guys that was sitting down with these women that were considering a choice that they felt like they had to make. So when I would sit down with them, one of the things we find out is sometimes they wouldn't have the support of their family or they wouldn't have the support of the, of the man that had gotten them pregnant. In fact, kind of ghosted. It was like, I, I'm not really sure what to do. And so they would come in in a situation with a lot of burdens that were on them. One is, you know, how am I going to pay for this kid? How is this going to impact my education? Let me share one story. One of the girls that I had the, the privilege to sit down with was a 19-year-old student at NC State University. Um, I was literally just passing by the clinic that day so that I could come in, check in with the guys, and then I was headed out, headed back over to the church uh, for meetings. But as I'm sitting there with the the team at the clinic, they said, hey, you're a pastor. Do you have a little bit of time? And I said, well, no, uh, but I'll make it. And so I did. And so I walked out and they said, we'd like for you to visit, you know, visit with this young lady. And I said, okay. And so we sat down in, in a room and I said, well, you know, what's going on? And she said, well, I found myself in a difficult place because I'm pregnant, which given the situation, I probably could have guessed that, right? Just the location. She said, I'm I'm pregnant. And I said, okay. She said, my my parents have said that if I don't abort the child, that they're going to cut me off. Uh, They're paying for my schooling. And so I'm not really sure what to do. And I said, well, let me ask you a question. What about the guy that's the other part of this? You know, where is he? And she said, as soon as I told him, he was gone. As soon as I told him, he was gone. Now, right there, she's in a situation that she doesn't want to be in. And what she didn't need in that moment was a lesson necessarily in sexual ethics, right? Uh, She wasn't sitting there wondering, had I I made a mistake in the choice that I had made in my relationship with this guy? She, She already figured that out. She was trying to figure out what's the next best decision to make because she had a decision to make. What I wanted to do was to come alongside her and to say, we're gonna help you in making this decision. And so with the group that we were partnering with there, at least in North Carolina, what they would do is, as these women came in in crisis pregnancies, they partnered with the local church. And for example, they would give me a call and say, hey, Jeremy, a a woman has just come into the clinic. She's in a really difficult situation. She lives about eight to 10 minutes from your church. Is this something that your church is willing to come alongside and help? And the answer was 100%, 100%. And the reason is, is because yes, we are pro-life, but we are pro-life from beyond just getting the child born. 
We wanted this, these women to know that there were people that loved them, that would come alongside them and help them in whatever way that we could. For whatever we couldn't do, it's just like, I, I, I don't know, it's just not something we could do. But for the things that we could do, we were going to come alongside and do it. And so some of the things that we would, we would literally do, some of the, we would bring the woman into the church. We would welcome her into the church. We would throw a baby shower for her. And there were times where even when it came time for the delivery, there was no family that was going to be present because they had functionally disowned her. And there was no father of the child that was going to be present. And when the delivery was happening, sometimes my phone would go off and say, would you be willing to be with her in the hospital? And the answer is, yes, I'll be there. I will be there. See, I give you that story to say the church can have a tremendous impact in the kinds of decisions that people make. And as a church, we want to affirm that we believe that life is absolutely beautiful uh, and that it is a God-affirming thing to affirm the beauty of the life that he has created. And then as a church, to come alongside people that are, many of them, feel like they're stuck in a difficult position with a choice to make, and we help them make the right decision, to see the possibilities for what could happen. Now, of course, what we know is since 1973 in Roe v. Wade, the Supreme Court ruled that abortion was a legal right that cannot be restricted for any reason up to the first trimester. Now, these are distinctions that were basically made in this case because really anything that's happening both gestationally is just all a part of the natural development of the life in the womb. There's no non-arbitrary way to divide this up. It's just the natural flow of the development of the life, both in the womb and, by the way, outside of the womb. It's just the natural development of life. States could reasonably regulate abortion during the second and third trimesters in Roe v. Wade, except in cases where the life or the health of the mother was threatened. The catch was the court then proceeded to define health in the broadest possible terms. It started to include physical and psychological and emotional and familial factors, effectively making abortion illegal during the entire nine months of pregnancy. Now, just to fill you in on it, what has it looked like since then? If you'd look at, at the Guttmacher Institute, they say since then we've had somewhere in the range of 800,000 to sometimes nearly a million abortions in a year. Now, the reason that is most frequently cited for having an abortion, number one, is that having a child would interfere with a woman's education, work, or ability to care for the dependents. That's number one. Number two, that she couldn't afford a baby right now. And that was close to number one. Number one was 74%. This was 73%. Uh, third, that she didn't want to be a single mother and that having relationships was a problem. So factoring in maybe the guy is present, but it's not a real great situation. And then you would hear, I don't want to bring a child into this situation, something like that. But the bottom line is, as the studies are done, what you find is there are variable reasons as to women, why women feel like they are having to make a decision. Now, before I lay out a couple of things, there's some things that I want you to keep in mind because I'm just going to say it up front. I'm pro-life. I just am. Uh, but I've also sat alongside people that are dealing with exceedingly rare circumstances. You know, so sometimes in the, the common discussion, cases of incest and rape will be brought up. But that factors in maybe 1% of the circumstances. Instead, what you find is that the overwhelming majority of what it is that people are having to process, frankly, are practical considerations. 
Does this child fit in with what I have in terms of my goals and aspirations and my dreams? Overwhelmingly, that's what people are dealing with. What I had hoped to do in partnering with groups, both as a church, whether it's North Carolina or even in Texas, is to say, I want to remove every obstacle that a woman has so that they can make the right decision. Every single obstacle that we can remove is something that we ought to do. I mean, many people are pro-abortion, just so you know, because of what they say is, is compassion. It's a compassionate thing to do. Their hearts go out to the mothers that are facing difficult circumstances because of an unplanned pregnancy. And they see abortion as a way to help these mothers out of a difficult situation. Let me give you just a few examples. A teenage mother may feel unprepared to raise a child, faces enormous obstacles if she keeps the child, including the inability to keep her education. That's why I gave you the example of the student from NC State. Just so you know, because I didn't finish the story, and you're probably wondering, what did she do? What did she do? She kept the baby. She kept the baby. So as we have this event this evening, uh, one of the reasons that we're trying to help raise funds for a mobile unit is because of the effectiveness of what these units can do. Let me give you an example. In the mobile units that we used to go around in Raleigh, it was virtually unheard of the second that the woman saw the child that she would ever consider an abortion. I mean, it was basically done at that point. The second she saw the child. She, whoever the women are on the northeast side of Houston or in the greater Houston area, it's going to be the exact same thing. The second that they see the child, it's going to be taking that off the table. This is not an option. So how do we do this well, right? We want to remove that obstacle. Perhaps the pregnancy is due to adultery or incest or rape, but as I mentioned before, that's less than 1% of all the cases. Some were factoring in that they were living with an abusive husband or they were dealing with an abusive boyfriend, you know, dealing with drugs and alcohol, and they don't want the child to come under the influence. How do we help in a situation like that? One is to say, we don't believe that these mitigating circumstances, while they are real, are not, they're not morally sufficient reasons to end the life of the child. Because if you think about it for just a second, it's kind of an arbitrary stopping point to say, now that's only true if the child is in the womb, right? Because what if the circumstances are something that will go well beyond the womb? What if you find yourself in a situation where you have a child and you go, you know what? This child is actually getting in the way of my educational dreams and goals. It's kind of difficult. I know they're two years old, but it's kind of difficult here to keep up with the bills, to keep going to school and everything else that I've planned for my life. I guess I can just take the life of the child. But nobody thinks like that, right? There's something that is particular when the life is in the womb. And then we say, well, but once the child is born. But at the end of the day, we're talking about a child that's changing locations when you think about it. Inside of the mother, outside of the mother. One of the things that I was looking at this week in preparation for today was, uh, you know, women that find that the child that they're going to give birth to has defects. In fact, I was just talking with a church member out in the atrium before we started today who has a son with Down syndrome. If you were to look at the Netherlands, there was a report that came out in 2017, uh, or an article, sorry, called A Moral Duty to Abort, specifically handicapped children. So we find out that the child is going to be handicapped. We have a moral duty to abort them. And in fact, in the Netherlands, it was either abort them or you're going to face a fine. The movement was called, quote, better off without down. The reason for the movement is because they are expensive, 
and they cost society, well beyond the family, a lot of money. However, as I continue to read the study, uh, Down syndrome only makes up a small percentage of the population, somewhere to the tune of about 8%. Yearly, more than twice the number of children are born with fetal alcohol syndrome, but I didn't see that getting brought up. And the other thing that I didn't see getting brought up is people that deal with cancer. And obviously, we don't want anyone to have cancer, but cancer is the number one cause of death in the Netherlands, where this was coming out from, and it was missing completely from the list. In fact, cancer costs the world more money than any other disease. But you know what I didn't see anybody bringing up? Is that we need to end the life of people that have cancer. It was nowhere in the conversation. Now, I bring that up. I'm trying to be sensitive to what we're talking about here. But these are very real and difficult situations. We ought to feel compassion for sure for the people that are facing these situations. I admire and appreciate the compassion that people have for women that are dealing with difficult circumstances. I just don't think abortion is the solution. It's just not. A couple of things to keep, keep in mind, especially because when you talk about the conversation, we're talking about what some people be, believe to be a right that they have. In fact, pro-abortion advocates say that the main issue is a woman's right to choose whether or not she wants to be pregnant and bear a child, basically capturing it in the language of her reproductive rights. And this issue is so important to pro-abortion activists that they've chosen to label themselves as pro-choice. They don't typically label themselves pro-death, right? Pro-life and then pro-death. They refer to themselves as pro-choice. And I could ask this question this morning. How many of you believe, that freedom of, uh, believe in freedom of choice? And if I said, raise your hands, most of you would say, yeah, I do. But how can you be an American and not believe in freedom of choice, some might would say. But we all recognize that there are limits to the freedoms that we actually have, virtually all of them. For example, you're not free to use drugs right now. And I don't just mean in Woodridge. Uh, <laughs> hopefully you're not, right? There are limits as to what you can choose to do with your body, and you can deal with legal ramifications for illegal drug use. Now, you would make a choice to use a drug, but there's a legal limitation to the choices that we make. We already know this. I'm free to swing my fist until it comes in contact with your nose. My freedom, by the way, ends right there. We're free to make choices as long as don't ad they don't adversely affect or impinge on the rights of other people. We believe in freedom of speech. We do. But most would agree that that doesn't include running into a theater yelling fire, and it also doesn't include me, for example, le leveling threats against the President of the United States. That's not covered by it. I haven't done that, by the way. If you're all wondering, it was just an example, right? There are limits to the freedoms that we have. We all believe in freedom of choice, but we all recognize the limits to those freedoms as well. And in the case of abortion, the mother's rights must be considered alongside the rights of the child that she is carrying. Here's the question. Does her right to choose supersede the child's right to live? And especially given what I was showing you before is the majority of the reasons that women are even dealing with a choice to begin with. Is your education a morally sufficient reason to end this life? A couple of things that I want you to keep, about, keep in mind this morning. And, and again, I hope that this challenges you. But, but beyond this, I want it to motivate you to join into the good work. I want it to motivate you to join into the, to the good work. Sometimes I hear it said that the reason that they were thinking about this is because the child isn't wanted. It's just not wanted. 
But something that I want you to keep in mind, and I'm not making a moral argument here right now, but if you look at it, uh, American adoptions, by the way, these children actually are wanted. They really are. Uh, the waiting lists to adopt babies are long and they are growing longer. In fact, while it's difficult to get an exact number, an accurate number to this question, some sources estimate that there are about 2 million couples currently waiting to adopt in the United States, which means that there are as many as 36 waiting families for every one child who is placed for adoption. Now, the reason I'm not making a moral argument here, I'm making a practical one, is because what if the line you know, goes away? Does that all of a sudden mean that abortion is fine? It doesn't. I'm trying to make a practical point. We have options and we want to help women make the best choice that they can possibly make. And the reason is because of what we believe comes from the word of God to us. And it is that life is beautiful and it is valuable, even though it's a messy thing. You remember before I was giving you the example from the Netherlands that they were trying to you know, eradicate people with Down syndrome? Did you also know that there was a study that was done just a few years ago of people with Down syndrome? And they were asking them this question, how would you describe your life? And did you know almost 100% of them describe themselves as very happy? Almost 100%. It's just something to think about here. In Scripture, we see both from Exodus 20, 13, you shall not murder. But beyond that, we see why. And it's because of what Scripture says about life itself. That when you look in Psalm 139, 13 through 16, it says, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame wasn't hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. And when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them ever came to be. You have this beautiful story in Luke chapter 1, looking to celebrate the Jesus, the Messiah that was coming. And it says in verses 39 to 45, at that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby, John the Baptist, leaps in the womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leapt in the womb for joy. Blessed is she who has believed what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. And as you know, the baby in Elizabeth's womb was John the Baptist. She was about six months pregnant at the time. Baby John leaps for joy at the sound of Mary's voice, and the unborn child was certainly considered to be a person, already identified, already speaking to the plan of God for that child's life. I mean, the next three references in Luke all use the same Greek word, brephos, that Elizabeth used here of her unborn child, but they referred to born babies out of the womb. In other words, a human person all the way through. Even in Luke chapter 1, verse 31, you will conceive in your womb, you will bear a son, you will name him Jesus. The identity is already given. Isaiah chapter 49, 1, listen to me, you islands, and hear this, the distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me from before. He called me from my birth. He has made mention of my name. Jeremiah chapter one, verse five, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. 
Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Even Galatians chapter 1, verse 15, but when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb, set apart and called me by his grace, Paul said. Are you catching a theme here in Scripture? Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Paul all believed that God knew them and called them before they were born while they were still in the womb. And you might think, yeah, well, but they were prophets and apostles, right? I'm an ordinary person. I want you to listen to this. God knew you and chose you before you were born, but not only before you were born, but before the world was even created. And God prepared things for you to do in advance before you were born, even you, even me, just like them. God sees the unborn children, not only as she is right now, but as she will be. And the unborn child as, is fully human. And that's how God sees it. So what should we do? Well, what should, what should we do? Like practically, what should we do? I'm going to give you a couple of things to think about. Are you ready to take some notes here? Here's the first. Pray. You pray. You saturate every single thing that you do in prayer. Whether it's your schoolwork or whether it's your work or whatever, fill in the blank. You, you pray that God would bless you and anoint you for the work that you're doing. It's our most important work that we do. Second, I want you to educate yourself. I tried to do a little bit of that for you this morning, but I want you to educate yourself and educate others. I want you to understand many people have simply never heard the other side of the story. So tell it. Tell it. But can also encourage you to do this. Practically offer to help. I mean, the whole, the whole arc of Scripture, when you see it, is about people that changed the world because they were willing to make the sacrifice that was needed to change the world. And it all begins with Jesus himself. I'm willing to make the sacrifice that is needed to change the arc of what I'm seeing going on in the world. And then you see other people come alongside and say, I'm not just willing to put like money to this thing. I'm willing to put practical work to this thing so that the kingdom can be more visible for the people. That's what I'm willing to do. A couple of things to keep in mind. Here's some ways that you can help. Let me mention three. All right, I'm going to do four. Here's the first. Come tonight. All right? There's one. That one's the easy one because Matt's doing all the work, right? Isn't that great? But here's the other. We need to remember this, that most of these women that we're trying to help, they need a caring and supportive family. They need a caring and supportive family. And so we want to be that. Many young women choose to abort their babies because they're afraid, honestly, and as a church, one of the things I want them to see is that we're here to help and to love. We're here to help and to love them. That would be the first thing. Here's the second thing. Did you know that you can become an adoptive or foster parent? In fact, some of the heroes that we have in our church are fostering children and have adopted children. And so I'm just going to stop for one second. And if, if it's appropriate for you, if you have adopted or fostered, would you raise your hand this morning? That's practically making a difference in the world, friends. And you are some of my heroes because there's absolutely nothing that's convenient about it, but there is something that is beautiful about it. You're my heroes. And third, we can provide support, prayer, and encouragement for women who have had abortions. That is the rest of the story today. It's not just what can we do on the front end to help women make the right choice. It's what do we do on the back end. 
And as a church, I want you to understand, we have a ministry here, Restored Hearts, that's headed by Shelley Orr. And maybe you've come in here this morning, and this is a part of your story. It may have been 20 years ago. It may have been 10 years ago. It may have been two years ago. I don't, I don't know. What I do want you to know is that you have people that are sitting in this place right now that love you, that are ready to walk alongside you, and ready to help you. I mean, if you take any of the statistics seriously, in every church that is meeting in the country right now, about one out of four women that are sitting in those congregations has had an abortion. Here's what I want you to hear. It's good that you're here. It is good that you're here. And the reason that it's good that you're here is the same reason that it's good that I'm here. Is because I, just like you, am a sinner that is saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. And it is waiting for you today. And there can be more to your story than just that part. There can be healing through Jesus' forgiveness, just like there was for me. And there can be people like Shelly Orr that come and walk alongside you for the journey that you have before you. Because there's more to your story, and God has more for you than just that. I want you to believe that. I want you to believe that today. You know how we're going to end today? We're going to end with praise. That's what we're going to do. We're going to end with worship. We're going to end with songs that are sung to our Lord. But there's a pretty good group of you both here and online. And I want to speak to you just for a second while the band is coming up to lead us. Uh, maybe what we've talked about today, you're like, that, that hasn't been my thing. Um, still, I'm glad you're here. And I hope you can appreciate that it's important that we did talk about this today. Uh, but maybe you brought something else into the building. Uh, maybe there is a broken relationship, a broken marriage. Maybe there is something else that's going on in your life that is need, uh, in need of Jesus' grace and forgiveness and restoration. It's good that you're here because it's real. Uh, what we believe, and especially as we look ahead to the celebration of Easter next Sunday morning, is that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I mean, how incredible of a story is that? And it's certainly most undeserved. I can't think of anything in my life I've ever done that says, you know, I deserve this relationship with Jesus. I literally can't think of one thing, not one. But in his goodness and his mercy to me, he says, I love you. I love you. And there's more for you than what it is that you've been. And I want to make you new. I want to make you whole. And I want to make you complete again. Friends, I made that choice when I was 11 years old. And admittedly, there are times where I embody that choice more fully than other times, probably just like you. But here's what I say as I wake up every day. Thank you, God, for giving me this day. I didn't deserve it. It's testimonies, once again, that your mercies are new. Help me to live in a way that is pleasing to you. Help me to live in a way that is pleasing to you. We hope you have enjoyed the podcast. For more information about our church, visit www.woodridge.org.